Hello, everybody. Another session of our Family and Community Engagement Podcast with San Bernardino County Superintendent of Schools. Today, it's Mars Serna and... Marisa Lasso Nico. That's right. And we're going to be talking about culturally responsive family engagement today and just kind of setting the stage on further topics that we'll be talking about later uh, as we continue to progress through our podcast. But today we're going to we're going to set the stage around, you know, the dynamics of family, you know, who's responsible for engaging our families, uh, talk a little bit about the dual capacity framework and how that's set up in our districts, mm-hmm. along with maybe barriers and uh, what it should look like in a district and uh, have this natural conversation today. What do you think, Marissa? I think that sounds like a great plan, Mars. And we've been asked a lot to come and have that conversation with our districts, with our team. So this is great that we're bringing it here because a lot of our friends tuning in, they can listen to us as they're driving to work or they're having um, some reflection time. And just they can just reflect on how is that looking like at their site. So if you're coming from a district, a school site, if you're a community partner, this topic will definitely hit home because it really embraces all of us in whatever seat we sit and we lead on. I'm quoting you, Mars. (laughs) Appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, Marissa, one of the things I always get into when we have this, uh, this conversation with our practitioners and even our families in the community is, you know, what makes up a scholar's family? Mm -hmm. And I always use my example, you know, most of the time, most people, when they hear family, it's a pretty straightforward, you know, ideology that that means the child's parents. But for others, it could mean that a grandparent is raising a child or some sort of kin, an aunt and uncle or a brother or sister, older brother and sister. And that's right. So they become guardians, right? And so for those students involved in the foster care system, their, their world of what a family is is different. And so I always want to make sure that families are, are in the forefront of our work but that it's different, right? So, you know, any thoughts around that that conversation? Absolutely. You know, I came um, to this country at age 11, spoke Spanish only, and I came out and I lived with my aunt for a whole year. So my family for a whole year was not mom and dad. It was a working aunt who had two babies herself. She could never attend. So when it came to meetings and parent meetings, um, she was then my uncle, who was not my blood uncle, right? But, you know, he was married to her. And so, and sometimes my neighbor, because she spoke a little bit of English and a little bit of Spanish. So um, at the parent meetings, it was never my mom and dad. It was never my aunt, my mom's sister. It was always my uncle or my neighbor, who we really became very close to because she embraced us like family. So just thinking of the students that we serve when we say family, let's invite the family to come in and learn about what we're doing with our kids. That could look different. A year later, my parents came, and all of a sudden now I had mom and dad here, but different needs because now they didn't speak the language, right? So when we're thinking of family, that may look very different for everybody. And now we have a lot of grandparents taking care of grandbabies. So family is looking very much different these days. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always use my example. You know, I have uh, four biological children, right? My oldest is 35 and the youngest is, is 18, who just graduated from high school this last year. But we have a niece uh, who we're raising. We've had her the last five years for those same dynamics. Her grandmother was raising her mm-hmm. uh, f- because of the family dynamics. And then grandma passed away, grandfather passed away. And so now we have her because we've, you know, carried on that responsibility and 
we did that early as her godparents, and that's usually the tradition. And so if you think about Latino families that become, you know, padrinos or godparents, uh, the role of the godparent is always to step in when something possibly could happen to the real, real parents. And so yes. um, that's a cultural thing that we have it's to think cultu- about. I was just going right? to say, that's a cultura, yes. that's a cultural thing. It is a very cultural thing. And so we have to understand that. And so hopefully today's podcast will allow people to understand that, you know, if you're serving a high population of Latino community, that they don't really identify as foster youth, right? We just pick up the pieces where they're left off. We, we, we take our children, we'll, we'll guide them, we'll raise them, we'll rear them. But we don't always identify that they're foster kids, even though they could, and they have the benefits mm-hmm. that are provided for them in the educational system. And, you know, even in the topic, Mars, I'd like to like for us to just reflect a little bit on that topic, culturally responsive family engagement. So cultura, culture, it looks so different. Even when you're with, from the same country, your culture is different because then it goes back to tradition. And I'm, in, I'm from El Salvador. My husband's from Peru. Our culture, it's so different because it's a blend of Peruvian traditions and Salvadorian traditions and then the traditions that we have adopted here because I live in California, so I consider myself half Mexican because I love menudo. I love the cultura that I was raised with that I adopted and it's now part of me. Um, so my home, it's really a, a diversity of culturas, of traditions that we've embraced. I'm sure that looks like that for you. So um you know, just thinking and reflecting wherever you are um, as you're tuning us in, just think and reflect, what does your home culture look like? What is that cultura, the traditions that you have going on and and how that impacts our families as we go and connect and make um, community with other families and as educators, right? I love how you said, Mars, who's responsible to engage in families? As educators, I'm also pausing to reflect what does our culture at home look like, feel like? What are those traditions? And when we are bringing other families into our house, our schoolhouse, our district house, how do we make that space safe and and a, a very relaxing environment where people feel safe to come as who they are and embrace those different dynamics, those different traditions, those different culturas? So when I think culturally responsive, the first thing, that pops up to me, the first word is culture, mm-hmm. right? And what that looks like. And even when we're from the same country, from the same neighborhood, our cultura, our culture could be very different. And then responsive. What does that come to you when you hear responsive? What what pops for you? Uh, you know, just being aware um, and looking at the assets that individuals bring through culture mm-hmm. is always important, right? I, I was having a conversation with an African-American woman the other day, and when I, when I see her, I see her as a strong black woman, right? That's that's embracing the assets this individual brings. It's not to say that it's a down, you know, uh, you know, making it look negative, but we want to make sure that we highlight the the assets and the positivity that individuals bring to the conversation. So when you say responsive, you know, I, I was doing that presentation not too long ago where I said, look, I come from a Latino community, but I also was raised uh, by African-American community as well. So there's that yes. call and response. When you ask a question, you want to see some head nodding. You want to hear some, yeah, I, I feel you. I got you. You know, so that's being responsive to culture. Yes. Hey, and when you say that, even music pops in my head, right? Absolutely. For our kids, music, you love hip-hop. 
I learned about hip hop when I came to this country. So even within the culture, there's that culture of music and the environment that you grew, grew up in. And language, so, right? Language. We, we, we speak a lot about language. Like even earlier, we we're having a conversation about the, the political climates of our school districts and how kids will see individuals that come into spaces and they'll say, oh, that person's an ops. You know, meaning opposition, right? But that's language. Like, if you don't know what that means, right. you got to understand the the nuance of the younger language versus those of us in our in our age group. Yes, I feel like I need a glossary to start understanding <laughs> my my freshmen. I'm like, ops, what is ops? Mom, are you being an op? What is an op? So I know if I'm being one yes. or not. And she said, it's an oppositional person. Oh, okay. Um, so that's a different culture. Our young kids, our young leaders have their own culture that they're now, you know, surfacing and we are learning from mm-hmm. as adults. Yeah, so. Marissa, you're being extra. <laughs> you're being extra. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean, right? Uh, and that's something that my son will tell me. You know, Dad, you're being extra. I'm being extra. Okay, why I'm being extra? Because I'm asking you to clean your room and I'm being you responsible. That's being extra. But that's a word they'll use, right? You're not being swag. <laughs> Well, I feel like when it comes to the topic of culturally responsive, we can unpack this forever because we are really learning. And I feel like we are all in the space of learning because our kids are growing up and they're leaders and they're teaching us of this new culture that they are also growing up in. And so we are always learners in that space. Um, But that doesn't say that we don't bring a lot of wisdom because the journey that we walked in so far That's all the wisdom that we've gathered. So how do we make sure that we come into our spaces, we feel safe to bring our true selves, and that cultura, that culture, that strength, like you said, Mars, bringing the asset, everything that I have to offer, and embracing all of our um, strengths, right? That's what really we need in our communities to be able to not only see who we are serving, identify the needs, and be responsive to those needs, right? So when we're thinking like culturally responsive, how do we make sure that we acknowledge the assets and we respond to those uh, based on the needs that we see? And family and community engagement, we know that families look different. It's no longer parent involvement. So if you're saying parent involvement, scratch that word. It's great. The word parent, I'm a parent, you're a parent. We love that word. But the right word now is family and community engagement because families look different and they live in the community. And so we want to em- embrace all of what surrounds our children. So let's get to it. So um, I know you're the data guy, Mars. You <laughs> always, you love data. So what can you say about like data? What do we have in California? You're really good about understanding our, our communities. Well, you know, we're, we're talking about being responsive from a culturally perspective, right? And, and focusing on building trust and relationships, uh, being collaborative, recognizing and respecting the assets that, that families bring from a variety of socioeconomic differences and embracing the philosophy of not only engagement, but being partners in the educational system, right? Having this relational piece. But it's important to understand that we have, you know, almost 6 million students in California. Wow. I'm just going to put it there. It's like 5,852. I'm just going to round it up to six, right? Yes. But of those, you know, 5,852,000 students, 1 million... Uh, 1.1 million is probably the best way to, 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 to get this number of students uh, speak another language other than, than English. 
And so then that's important to understand, just just thinking about language alone. And then in California, about 81% or almost 82% um, identify as speaking Spanish as another language besides English. That sounds right, yeah. 2% in Vietnamese, about 2% Mandarin, and about 1.5% in Arabic. And so those are just, you know, major languages that we'll see. And there's, uh, you know... There's many, so many, many other languages in California, but I'm just kind of highlighting those in, in that in that context. And so when we think about language in itself, we have to learn in our systems to break down those barriers. And so I know districts like Cajon Valley, Chino Valley that we've worked with, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Cajon Valley with our CEI, our Community Engagement Initiative at the statewide level, and then locally, uh, Chino Valley, working with their Mandarin families, have, have mm-hmm. done it right, right? They're in our community engagement initiative because they've been doing some great work around language and, and reducing barriers culturally. So that's that's the data, and, and hopefully uh, as we bring on other guests, they can talk about how they're doing things in their own districts, but that's that's where we're moving to is how do we do just the language things better. Yes, and as you're saying this, uh, Chafee Joint also popped in my head. I'm, yes. You know, I'm a Chafee Joint parent, and I see how much they're doing to embrace um, they are, they recognize that we have a large Spanish population, and I think we all do, right? I think we're doing a great job in California with uh, translating the documents. I see more and more that when I walk into schools, they have more signs of welcome, bienvenidos. Um, they send a flyer. They send it in Spanish. I think English, Spanish, we're doing good in California. But there's other languages. Like, like it popped up to me when you said Vietnamese, 2%, Mandarin, 2%, Arabic, 2%, and there's so many more. And then my first question was, like, how are we doing in that? And, and you mentioned Chino. You mentioned Cajon Valley. Chafee Joint, I know that they have a large um, community of Arab families. Mm-hmm. And I see how the district is really moving forward and embracing, bringing families, culture, um, celebrating families' culture, and, and having those celebrations where, where kids see themselves, families bring their traditions. Mm-hmm. Learning from each other. Learning from mm-hmm. each other, right? And learning about the community because these are these are parents who own businesses and they're in our community. So learning about what is in our community. So I think um, there is definitely a lot that we can unpack. And I look forward to bringing these guests um, so we can learn more about how is it looking like for them. And and I invite guests that are listening to us right now that if they want to call us, um, email us, contact us, and they want to share their experiences of how is that looking like for you? How you? How are you responding to the need of the diversity of your community? Um, we would love to learn more about what you're doing in your neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, as we begin to close today, Marissa, because I know, you know, we, we want to um, keep keep things where, you know, folks can, can really uh, uh, engage with us, but also learn in short periods of time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, how do you become culturally responsive? And I always think about some of the words like develop, develop a cultural self-awareness about yourself, uh, appreciate and value the diverse views that people bring, uh, avoid imposing your own values on others, right? Try to listen to learn for understanding versus listening to learning for, for response. Mm-hmm. Uh, examining your own practices for cultural biases, building on students' and parents' cultural strengths, discovering your students' primary cultural roles, incorporate culture into the teaching, as you were saying earlier, or special events, and then learn. Just just immerse yourself by learning and growing. And so those are just some ways that you can become culturally responsive. 
And, um, I, you know, I don't know if you have any other thoughts in, in those areas, but I just wanted to highlight those things because I think it's important as we talk to our, our educators, as we talk to our parents and our community uh, education uh, partners, that uh, they understand that as we're working together in the same, you know, collaborative spirit. Absolutely. And I love, I love this um, quote, right? that I just uh, read right here that says, uh, the terms of engagement or partnership speak more to the work Mm -hmm. um, instead of using involvement because we really want to bring people as partners and uh, be responsive and and embracing their uniqueness. So focusing on building trust, I feel like trust and relationship is really at the core of this. So thank you for lifting those key um, operationalized uh, words that you, you lifted for us. To make sure that we keep that, what does it look like? Uh, when we say terminology, like col- culturally responsive, we can easily get caught up into the terminology. Mm-hmm. But how does it really look like? What would I see if I walk into a school that is being culturally responsive? How would I feel? And what words would I hear, right? So focusing on building trust, um, building positive relationship with families, respecting uh, families. And so using words of respect and embracing families using words that embrace um, the philosophy of partnership. Um, so I think with that, uh, we can say that we are we are opening now a conversation that will lead with more operationalizing this and how does it look like at a school site level, at a district. And I, I look forward to bringing uh, the Chino Valley, the Cajon Valley, the Chafee, and more. So if you're listening and you want to join us, call Mars, call me. We are happy to learn more about how to do this right, because we need to serve our young leaders right. Thank you, Marissa. So at the, in closing, just remember, everybody, as we, as we do this work together, relationships <laughs> matter. Building trust matters. Having compassion, uh, honesty, uh, you know, being supportive, it, they're all important things as we, as we do this work. And so uh, Marissa had m- mentioned that if you want to contact us, uh, you know, you can, you can call our office number at, at area code 909 386 2686. Uh, our, our support team, uh, Cynthia Torres, will probably be the one answering and she can get a hold of us to uh, contact us for any further uh, podcast uh, information that they'd like to get from. But uh, that's 909-386-2686. And uh, today's conversation, you know, is the grounding for bringing, I think, our next uh, guest, which will be Evie Scardero from Chino Valley Unified School District, who is going to speak on how she's been doing it right trying to uh, support our Mandarin families and bringing in the assets of the Mandarin community to help interpret and translate documents so that they can be culturally responsive in that language uh, barrier, reducing the language barriers in Chino Valley. I'm excited about that. So please tune in and join us at the next one. You don't want to miss that. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening in today. We hope you have learned something new, and we look forward to seeing you again in our, in our next session.